0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us today, contributing editor Eli Lake, host of the Reeducation Podcast and all around Mad About Town Bon Vivant. And expert in many things hi Eli
1: thanks for having me John
0: all right so uh I don't know if it's fair to call what happened last night in California a political earthquake but it is certainly a um uh a, a harbinger of a potential national earthquake uh two results that matter as I'm sure people listening already may have uh, sussed out um Chesa Boudin, the progressive prosecutor of San Francisco, um, and a story in his own right, was recalled last night by a colossal margin. 60% of the voters in San Francisco voted to remove Chesa Boudin from office after two and a half years as the prosecutor in San Francisco and in Los
2: Angeles. 60%, however, with 50% of the vote counted. Somehow the the state can't count votes. The cities can't count votes. So we only have half the results in, but right now it's a 20 point margin.
0: Right. And you know, the way these things go, generally speaking, that the the margins don't change, you know, you would have to have like a hundred percent of the rest of the vote going the other way for anything to really change that much anyway. um, And in Los Angeles, where uh, mayor uh, Gil Garcetti is, uh, is term limited. Uh, a fascinating contest between Representative Karen Bass, a uh, conventional uh, liberal to leftist uh, Democrat, and a billionaire developer named Rick Caruso, who is Republican in name only. I mean, he changed his party registration to Democrat, um, but uh, is basically, you know, was, was giving money to Republicans and is essentially a Republican, ran on a platform on how you just you know homelessness is out of control and crime is out of control uh despite polls that show everybody knew he was surging but despite polls that showed that bass was was leading him 37 or 36 to 31 something like that uh the end result 42 37 in caruso's favor suggesting what's very important about this is that it suggests that the polling in the case of Bass was accurate. That is to say, she came at her poll number, he came in 10% above his poll numbers, and this suggests that Bass's number is potentially a ceiling for her in November and that Caruso's number might be a floor um, because the top two will go into a runoff. Uh, and uh, and that's, you know, so this is a pretty astonishing result, Right.
2: Well, is it? I mean, we've known for quite some time that crime and disorder and the breakdown of the social compact has been an an election issue. It's been an election issue across the board in every special election and every primary we've seen across the country, especially in the local races and even in the federal races where it doesn't really register. So what we saw in February in San Francisco was the ejection of three school board members because they had been entrusted to educate kids and stopped educating kids. We're witnessing now the ejection of a district attorney who was elected to prosecute crime and decided not to prosecute crime.
0: Well, to be fair to him, he wasn't elected to prosecute crime. (laughs) I mean, he ran on a platform of not prosecuting crime and was elected. It is the results of his election. It is the people who voted him in who have now voted him out having seen the results of the things that they voted him in to do.
1: Well, John, in, in fairness, uh, when you're talking about a reactionary right wing city like San Francisco, what do you expect?
2: Um, Noah, you Noah know, socialists a couldn't possibly have a chance in a website, city like yeah. San Francisco. Come on. So, so, so conservatism, which is, you know, hung on for half a century. It's a very powerful force. Okay, yeah. look, look. Uh,
0: saying, yeah, this was predictable. It's not predictable uh that uh that uh california uh takes that that uh, la is a complicated city it's had republican mayors before rick uh richard riordan was a reardon excuse me i'm got my head in rick riordan the uh, children's book author but uh richard Reardon was of course a a republican and he ran the city for eight years i mean it's sort of a little you know in that way it's a little new york like like it's a democratic city, but every now and then they get sick and tired of democratic governance and vote in a you know, a, a sensible non-democrat to do stuff, whatever. Um, but I mean, I don't know how else to look at this except to call it a neocon election in these two cities. Let's say that you have a real snapback on, uh, on issues involving uh, the um, public safety. And I think it's important to note that Caruso's campaign deals a lot with crime, but it's not about crime. And I'm not sure that the campaign against Boudin is is just about crime. It is about urban degradation, urban decay, and the policies that are leading to a circumstance in which Living lives in these cities for middle class and uh, people is become is becoming increasingly untenable. Some of it's crime, some of it's the refusal to prosecute low level offenses, up to burglaries and things like that, and some of it is just homeless encampments, people defecating on the streets. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think I told this story before, but you know, I was driving once with my with my kids in downtown L.A. and uh, we stopped at a, a tra- traffic light. And a man pulled out his pants and started to defecate. And I sort of was like, hey, look over there, you know, doing what I could so that my kids wouldn't have to watch this horrific vision of, you know, civilization ending right in front of your eyes. And uh, the idea that um, this is something about which cities have lost control and can't do anything about. Caruso is running saying yes we can yes we will this is not you know no civilized society allows this to happen that is not a conservative platform that is a what the hell is going on here this is not the country and the city and the world in which we want to live and people
3: just keep making excuses for it Abe yeah that's the thing I think it's it's not, not only just um the experience of living uh, in cities that are under siege to varying degrees. When you hear public officials talking as if they live on another planet about it, they're, they're sort of flaunting their unresponsiveness to it. Um, that has done them in. S- saying effectively, you're not seeing what you, what you say you're seeing. You don't feel the way you feel, things are okay.
2: But that's why it gives Democrats who are progressives who are beholden to a, a radical uh, reformation of the criminal justice system and out because when you say crime, then they say, oh, you don't actually mean crime because not all crime is up. Property crimes aren't up. Violent crimes are up. This crime is up. That crime isn't up. And what regular people mean when they say crime is, is generally quality of life issues and disorder and homelessness. and And we said the breakdown of the social contract. And that's what they mean when they say that. So Democrats can convince themselves of many other things, but they're not talking to voters where they live because crime is shorthand for a whole variety of social maladies. Look, I, I don't
0: think you can convince yourself. I mean, you can, you can lie to yourself till the cows come home. Chesapeake Dean getting recalled by a 60% margin a year after Gavin Newsom was not recalled by a, I think 65, you know, by uh, 65% of voters decided to keep him in office that's the important thing you need to, you need to focus on, is um, in 2019, it had not the crime and public decay and public disorder problem had not, the chickens had not come home to roost in San Francisco. And they went along with picking somebody who seemed to them to be the virtue signaling candidate of all virtue signaling candidates and the results were instantaneous and the circumstances under which they are living are now untenable and he is the target now another important data point for you is the latest poll on Eric Adams the mayor of New York City elected 6 months ago to do something about crime and crime is up by 20% across the board and we're talking about we're talking about not only shootings uh, murders are not up but shootings burglaries larcenies all that across the board and uh he's got a 29 or 30 percent approval rating in 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 the latest poll or sort of people say is doing a good job if you want to it's a it's it's a complicated it's not exactly an approval rating number um he came in said i'm the guy who's going to do something about crime he's been in six months and they're like okay what are you doing and he's trying to talk the talk he said our criminal justice system is a laughing stock. People look at us and laugh. You know, we need to there are things I can't control like bail reform laws. We got to fix. But um something very serious is going on out there in the United States in in uh in blue places. I mean that is the takeaway from that poll and these results. There are no, I mean, the interesting thing is that Caruso, as I said, is a Republican who's essentially running as a Democrat, but winking that he's a Republican, running in a very democratic city. Boudin in an overwhelmingly democratic city. I think, I think 9% of registered voters, something like that in San Francisco are Republican. Uh, I mean, it's big. It's very big. I mean, you know, it may be transitory. It may not, it may not, you know, translate elsewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is, it is the latest in a series of data points that began in the, with the 2020 election and the famous phone call on which Abigail Spanberger of Virginia and various other people said, your, you, what you did talking about defunding the police, you progressive idiots that lost us, you know, the seats in South Florida, it flipped the border counties in Texas to the Republicans, what are you doing? You insane lunatics, you are going to take us down. And that was, you know, not yet, it was 18 months ago. And, uh, and we're all we talk about when we talk about 2022 is inflation, the economy, things like that, where we know that, um, you know, this is what the public is concerned about. I mean. We don't talk enough about crime. We talked about crime a lot. We don't, we don't, the sense that Democrats in control are, are ruining the places where Democrats are in control is an incredibly potent issue.
1: If I may, I yeah. think that there's, there, that there's a way to kind of connect inflation and crime here, which is that the donors of the Democratic Party who have almost unlimited amounts of money are not as affected by crime because they have private security and they're not as affected by inflation because it doesn't mean as much to them. And so, you know, the perfect metaphor for this is as commentary wrote, I think, two years ago with Andy McCarthy's great piece on the Progressive Prosecutor Project, that there's all this dark money from people like George Soros who are funding radical prosecutors in these cities who are pursuing something that I don't think ever had a majority of Democrats supporting it. I think most people, including I think a lot of people who would consider themselves center right, would support, you know, gradual reforms to criminal justice that would maybe get rid of mandatory minimums and rethink the drug war and try to look at some of the carvings, you know, of police accountability from some of the police unions, which all seem like pretty reasonable stuff. But what Chesa Bodine was doing was basically, you know, legalizing hold. Forms of crime. He was declining to prosecute people who were clearly dangerous to the community. There was a case of this guy, Troy McAllister, who had been basically in jail awaiting trial for five years when he came into office. Um, and Bodine sort of let him out for time to serve, and he was out on parole. He was arrested, I think, several more times. And eventually, you know, it came to a very sad end in on New Year's Eve in 2021 when he. Robbed, you know, participated in an armed robbery and crashed his car, killed two pedestrians, fled the scene. And even the prosecutors in that case said, you know, we missed all these signs of the spiraling criminality. But that's coming from a really radical, you know, position that very few people support except for, you know, virtue signaling, you know, uber woke gazillionaires. But those people are totally out of touch with. Even their own party, even people who would sort of, you know, line up and volunteer for Democrats, that's a very, very boutique kind of view that just happens to have a lot of money
3: behind it. I mean, talk about radicals. Something something that Chester said was that he's reluctant to to prosecute a bunch of drug dealers because uh, they're victims of trafficking. They're, vi- they're right. victims of trafficking, and uh, that this will put them and their families in danger from from the drug kingpins right and it, this is
1: this is like michel foucault that it, this this is a view that no that there was never a majority who believed this stuff that there that our whole system is corrupt and that anybody who's in prison is is you know probably there for unjust reasons and that there's no point in prosecuting these crimes until we look at all the crimes that you know the oligarchs get away with ironically it's the oligarch class that is supporting this nonsense but there you have it. I'm just saying. But that was never a position. I was,
2: I was just about to say that it's, it it feels so theoretical, and it and yeah. you can you can live in the theoretical framework when you have a problem of low crime. We used to talk about the problem yeah. of low crime um, because you don't you you know it doesn't it isn't sexy. Uh, it doesn't provide you with a sense of mission. And you can talk about these sort of theoretical frameworks that that should govern reality. Like we had remember in, during the riots in 2020. Um, we had this big backlash against cop shows where they're taking cop shows off the air. Yeah, like, I remember that. Re- Reacting wildly out of, uh, uh, out in, in, a, in a very theoretical way because these cop shows depicted police in a positive uh, light. And that was contributing to a culture that was disrespectful of the citizenry and abusive towards people who were accused and over accusing and overcharging, blah, blah, blah. And it disregarded the theory, disregarded the tangible good that some of these programs had done like Live PD helps solve missing persons cases, what have you. But the theory went out over the tangible reality because that was a luxury that you could have in an environment with low crime. And the luxury is no longer one we can afford.
3: But Look, this, I just, I just want to, because this, this this, picks up on a point that I made uh, the other day when we, when we had uh, continetti on, we were talking about to what extent people will um, uh, vote in midterms based on um, uh, the road decision and, and on um uh, uh, gun, new gun laws and, and, and the rest of it. And, um, I said, I think we're in this place now as a country where we're dealing with sort of the politics of real life, suddenly, uh, the politics of everyday life and all of that, this, you know, yeah, we'll take TV shows off the air, you know, that is, that is, that is pure fluff compared to what people are experiencing now with crime and with inflation. Right. We're governed well, by a dorm room, right? Well, I mean, it's worse than a dorm
0: room. I mean, it's more like a faculty lounge than it is a dorm room. Yeah, because a dorm room is uh, is a world in which uh, people don't have power and they're just they're just uh, you know sitting around, you know, argle bargling with each other. And the faculty lounge sets the curriculum, and so you have the curriculum being set by Soros and the people who are funding this progressive prosecutor project and doing what they can to get these people elected. And, you know, some of them are still popular. Larry Krasner ran for re-election in Philadelphia and got elected with 75% of the vote. So, you know, it's not like it got re-elected. So it's not like their uh, Alvin Bragg uh, won in Manhattan, uh, basically saying he would, he would do some modified version of the more radical program that Chesa Boudin was going to put in place in which he was not going to prosecute, low-level offenses, and he was going to basically, you know, any economic damage under $500 or $1,000 wasn't going to get prosecuted and all of that. Uh, he has actually had to temper his opinions on this matter over the last six months, uh, simply because of the overwhelming nature of the crime spike in, in in New York and the fact that he comes into office. And what he is facing is it is an increase in crime and increase in these crimes that he doesn't want to prosecute and and a public backlash and outcry against it i my sense is that there's a there is a classic dynamic i've talked about this book before it's called murder in new york city by eric monconan who uh who was a criminologist and a sociologist at the University of Minnesota who died a couple of years ago. It's an eye-opening book. It's one of the best works of social science I've ever read. And it describes this constant cycle in which there is a crime spike and a crackdown on crime. And the crackdown on crime is successful. And then the crackdown on crime becomes the norm. And the idea is how do we continue To continue cracking down on crime when crime gets to a point at which it's actually quite low and when it gets low and the police continue to pursue aggressive policies of crime fighting or crime prevention or whatever you want to call it a backlash starts erupting where it's like they're they're too hard they're being too tough they're actually stop frisking me you know it's like you frisked me seven times i can't take it anymore uh, I know you're looking for guns, and I'm free you're looking for guns, but you know it's it, it's enough. Like it's enough already. And then there's a backlash, and then the cops lay off or there are changes in policy, or there's a change in the public atmosphere. And then crime spikes again. And then, ten years later, there's another cycle in which there's a crackdown. And this happened seven times in the twentieth century. Most most notably, of course, the Giuliani—you know—the sort of the crime wave from 1960 to 1990, then then cracked down upon by, by by the Giuliani policing rules and the way things happened there, and um, and we then had sort of 20 years of an incredibly safe, incredibly safe city, and then Bill De Blasio came in and wrecked it. I mean, you know, and said, oh, you know, all there were all sorts of things like, oh, it's enough, stop frisking me and you felt the degradation start. I mean, we, you know, I wrote about it for years in my column in the New York post. We've talked about it here. Just little things, you know, bums lying in the street. Nobody does anything. Nobody, nobody moves them. You know, then there's one, then there's two, then there's four, then there's eight. It's the classic broken windows thing, or people selling weed on the street. Nobody's stopping them. You know, people smoking weed on the street. Nobody's stopping them. People, starting to pee in the streets, nobody stopping them. People starting to scream on the subways, nobody. People panhandling on the subways, nobody stopping them. And then it all gathers steam and gathers steam and gathers steam and then there was this accelerant which was which was the pandemic. And the fact that ordinary people in cities anyway fled fled the center city. No one was in the center city anymore. And center cities were essentially then surrendered to indigent populations in a very very stark way you know that it was like it was like 2 30 in the morning at high noon in manhattan or or all of these places and so you know we're now living with the consequences of all of that and um i think because the liberal media and the and you know and the and the elites and the academy and all of that don't want to see what is right in front of their faces and don't want to understand what this is going to do to them, to their worldview and to their power, Um, we are going to be continually surprised by the extent to which it makes absolute common sense. A guy is elected as prosecutor, doesn't prosecute crimes, and crimes go way up, and then he's going to be recalled And Larry Krasner may have won this time, but he'll lose next time. And God knows what 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 follows. Do you you think that
1: there's a chance maybe that we can, as we're correcting for the cycle of uh, laxness and not enforcing crime, that we don't make the mistake of demanding, you know, mandatory minimums and three strikes and you're out and just assuming that, you know, because it's I, why can't there just be kind of a reasonable balance on some of these things? Like I have a libertarian tendencies. I don't want there to be needle parks where there are a bunch of junkies. I think that's really bad for the country. But at the same time, I do think that having a police force that is focused on just, you know, arresting people at the retail level uh, for drug crimes is kind of dumb and a waste of resources. So is there like a middle way that we can avoid oh, the no, overreaction I- this time?
2: I'm with you on all that, except for the fact yeah. that arresting low level drug offenders is how you get high level drug offenders. Well, I
1: fair enough. I mean, it's, there's a lot of OK. Right. I, I sort of agree. Right. But I'm just saying, like, I don't have any problem with marijuana being legal. I don't have any problem with I do have a problem, obviously, with the fentanyl crisis in places like San Francisco. And it was a huge thing that people, you know, that probably led to the undoing of Tessa botine But there's got to be a smarter way because there, the, the approach in the 80s and the 90s was to just go in the other direction. And it was, you know, it created sort of excesses that then, you know, laid the
0: groundwork for what we're seeing now. Well, OK, but the reason that it went that way, I mean, right. you're talking about policies that were instituted because of outrages in the way the status quo of the time, the the results of the status quo of the time. There were mandatory minimums because people were serving shorter sentences for murder than they were serving for having three ounces of weed and i mean that was why mandatory mandatory minimums were an attempt to address a judiciary that had gone wildly out of control a liberal judiciary that had been removed
2: Mm -hmm. removed judicial discretion (laughs) as as an option because judicial discretion had become something that was suspect but that's no longer the case we have a generation now we have prosecutorial
0: discretion which leads to you know anarchy but that the point is that that a lot of those policies were responses to problems at the time so that, you know, uh, that don't exist now. And so whatever solutions exist now, it's not that you're going to go back to mandatory. First of all, you don't go back. There still are mandatory minimums, so you don't go right. back to them. But I'm just saying like that, the imposition of um, of tougher regulations isn't, Look, look, here's the problem. So uh, nobody seems to have a problem, you know, with decriminalizing marijuana or legalizing marijuana, like right. that's the new thing and everybody's for it and all of that. Great, fine. Congratulations. It's wonderful. You think that there's no connection? You think that there's no connection between and, and we'll see over the next 10 years because it's happening all over the country. What it's going to mean After like 30 years of war on inhaling lit, you know, plants, inhaling them into your lungs, what it's going to mean that people are walking around all over America smoking, you know, this disgustingly fragrant scent that isn't, it's not a Rorschach test, there's something about the business that itself is going to lead to urban decay or not just suburban decay you want a crotome you have your nice shopping center right you have your nice mini mall it's got a starbucks it's got a noble it's got a better than a starbucks right it's got like it's a fancier coffee place and a fancier this and a fancier that
2: and then it's going to have a weed dispensary yeah honestly i think that you're talking about a symptom as opposed to the actual problem um, because you can have liquor stores everywhere but the minute you have somebody you know a gang of people on the streets drinking out of a paper bag that's the problem
3: right but that well, is the equivalent i mean just in, yeah, it's in new york city
2: it's a different societal inspection it's, it's a different set of norms that are enforced at, at a very organic level by individuals
3: but but in new york city the, the weed is already a lifestyle problem. It's already a lifestyle issue um, day to day. I mean, I'm in the office now and, and, you know, I've said before and John's noticed near our offices in Midtown, there is this open air pot market uh, on all sorts of corners and it's extremely unpleasant. It is not, this is not, uh, so it, it is the equivalent of yeah. people walking around. I mean, to be fair, we were told we were told that a very
2: strange circumstance. It's not like that in Denver. It's not like that in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, the marijuana stores look like Verizon stores. They're gorgeous. And the open air drug market is reserved for the really bad stuff that is still illegal. Okay, but we were told that one of the
0: reasons that you wanted to legalize marijuana was to tax it and to regularize it and to organize it and to have it nice and clean, like you're saying. And to deprive the, gangs of the revenue. Yeah, well, l- yeah, sure. Let's Let's see.
1: Or like maybe let's just because I, I don't goes. think the state can tell... Adults, you know that they can't smoke weed. I mean, I just think it's
0: no, no. I'm not. I'm not yeah. having an argument. I honestly, no, no. Don't I hear want you. To, I, I mean, I'm. A, I was. A, I'm against legalization of marijuana. I think marijuana is a very dangerous substance, and that people are stupid to think it isn't. It has terrible consequences on people's brains. It has. It's wildly addictive. It's you know. It's it would be better if we hadn't done it. Whatever. But I'm not. That's not even an argument that I want. Yeah. That that I'm I'm talking about. I'm saying there are going to be consequences from its legalization, right? You legalize it, a lot more people are going to smoke it. There's going to be a lot more use of it. There are going to be a lot, a lot more consequences from it than people realize. Car accidents, things like that. And ancillary social order and disorder matters that we don't really even be, really understand yet. And so we'll see what, how people feel about it in 10 years. Like it's no... It's no well, joke. We managed but- to
1: cut down on drunk driving without um, you know, another prohibition. I mean, it's not necessarily cut down the- on
0: drunk driving by throwing people in jail. That's what I'm saying for drunk. drunk driving, but I'm saying yeah, that, then
1: fine, you can throw people, be- you can now no, throw no. people in jail for I agree I- with you that there's probably okay. going to be some ancillary effects, yeah. but it's not inevitable that the legalization of marijuana is going to you know, have all of these awful consequences. They're are all kinds of things that can happen. People, Everybody used to smoke cigarettes. They were legal. And because of a lot of things, including legal challenges, but also like a cultural campaign, fewer people smoke cigarettes today because it's just, it's not the same. And also,
2: I I think we may be falling into, (laughs) we risk falling into this overly theoretical framework around this when what we should be talking about is a, a very practical approach to crime fighting, which is to fight crime. Not to go out. No, I agree,
0: but you know, know. By the way, crime again. You know, again, a, again if we're talking yeah. in an urban circumstance, selling objects on the street, you know, uh, w- you know, using the streetscape for free when small businessmen are you know spending thousands of dollars a month renting places to sell things, selling them without you know where where there where no taxes collected, a cash business, all of that. That has consequences but let's let's move off this because yeah, yeah. we're kind of we're sort of the question is if this is a political earthquake what are the what what are the aftershocks I mean that's what we need to get to because it's this is you can't look at this and not say oh boy like we we just don't know even in play if San Francisco can turn on Chesa Boudin who can? What can Portland turn on? What can Seattle turn on? What can Philadelphia turn? What can Washington turn on?
3: Well, Seattle did. Seattle. Seattle, Seattle turned in the right. last mayoral <laughs> election. They they, right. they turned on exactly the, the the mayor who was all all pro defund.
0: Yeah, but it's just a question of again. You're also, but and then there's Eric Adams, right? So then there's the. Are you going to deliver? It's not just that you're going to talk the talk. Are you going to walk the walk? And are you going to suffer? this was the, the secret sauce of Rudy Giuliani that people do not understand and that was not predictable. However you feel about him now, however you think about his conduct now, when the liberal establishment went after Rudy Giuliani, who was himself considered a liberal Republican, beloved of the press in the 1980s for going after mal- you know, malefactors of great wealth on Wall Street and stuff like that. It got his dander up. He became a combatant in a massive culture war. The idea was he he took the New York Times' complaints about his tough-on-crime stances as a badge of honor. He wanted more of their complaints. He wanted them to attack him more. When a city councilman named Bill de Blasio complained because uh, you know after saying that Rudy was heartless in the way he handled the homeless and then complained about a... Rudy then put a new homeless shelter into his neighborhood. And de Blasio said, What are you doing? That's not fair. I mean, that's like the Ron DeSantis stuff that we're hearing about now. Like, this is Rudy wanted to fight the battle. In every case here, you have politicians who are going to come in. Are they actually going to fight? Because it's really unpleasant, really unpleasant to get attacked by the liberal establishment. It's every academic in your city. It's every newspaper in your city. It's every activist in your city.
1: Yeah, but, but what did we see in San Francisco, John? What we saw in San Francisco was former prosecutors in the district attorney office who were not Republicans, who were progressives turning on Chesapeake Bodine. There were community like it's it's kind yeah. of amazing to think this, but like London Breed didn't end up endorsing the mayor of San Francisco didn't end up endorsing the recall of Bodine, but she all, basically almost entirely did. She right. turned on a dime. So what you said, it's a little bit of a different after, thing now.
2: After entirely endorsing the defund the police movement. She's well, the right. Exactly, but people.
1: I'm saying it's,
0: I'm saying all these people who, well,
1: but were, she
2: did. And then, she, and then she said, this is all out of control. You remember after, her? Yeah, she's after, been all over the map. After two or three recalls were on the ballot in her city. Yeah.
0: That's right. right. But but what I'm saying no, you're absolutely you, right, but this is why it's so important. It's Erica so important
2: Adams, to bring some numbers to the table. His we have uh, poll numbers for for Adams whose support has fallen through the floor. His job yeah, That's what I said, yeah. is now 29% and it's all crime. When it comes to fighting crime, 74% of New York City res- residents say he's doing a fair or poor job. 76% say fair or poor on the topic of homelessness. Which corresponds just about exactly with his job approval ratings. It right. is well, the whole point. Issue. Right. So that's what I, I mean. No, the reason that this is an
0: earthquake is that it's not that they're all turning Republican. It's that right. they're saying we're seeing the consequences of the policies that we supported. We voters, we right. people. And we're really scared because you know what? I guess we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and when people start acknowledging that maybe they were wrong, all kinds of weird and interesting political changes can result from that because the people who won't say they're wrong then start becoming antagonists, actual open antagonists.
1: But can, I, can I ask a question? Yeah. A generation ago when it was Giuliani versus like Bella Abzug and the New York liberals, was there a component of incredibly wealthy Soros types who happen to have their thumb on the scale on the hardest progressivist leftist positions, because that does affect how Democrats are going to chase money for primaries, whether they're right. running for Congress or district attorney. Right. Was that a dynamic? Probably wasn't there before. They were chasing. Well, it was complicated. So
0: so, <coughs> you know, Rudy had two different mayoralties. He had the first right. term and the second term mayoralty. And then the second term mayoralty, he started to do a lot more what we would consider culture war stuff. Right. So basically everybody in the city couldn't help, including rich people couldn't help, but be delighted by the fact that suddenly they could like go into central park at night. Right. That, you know, their kids could walk, could take the subway, you know, like, I mean, the change was so astonishingly dramatic. There'd never been anything like it practically in American history. And you just couldn't argue with the results. There was no argument. So, you know, in the second term, in the second, his re-election effort, he ran against a classic old line leftist Ruth messenger, very, you know, like, like central casting, you know, upper west side, clueless idiot, blather mouth, you know, blabber mouth now runs the Jewish center for giving people money to be stupid. <laughs> OK, um, you know, and has been doing that for 20 years, though. I don't think she's ever set foot in the synagogue anyway. Ruth Messenger, uh, you know, and he slaughtered her like I think it was 6040 or something like that. Uh, so no, but but rich people certainly did. They didn't. You know, then then he didn't like the Brooklyn Museum of Art showing Piss Christ by Andres Serrano. And he said he was going to defund the Brooklyn Museum of Art. Oh, no. You know no now you've gone too far you know there was a lot of that um right uh so it, it was complicated because he he really did he really did come to love the fight for the fight's sake and he really did decide that the liberal elites were his enemies and then he just got very very provocative uh, when it was all about crime uh, they, everybody sort of fell in line, you know, really, honestly, but, but when it wasn't about crime and it, it got to be about other stuff. Um, and then it was also like, Oh no, no. Oh, 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 I, I love the cop. Oh, it's so great about crime, you know, and then a, a cop would get accused of something. And then of course everyone goes, Oh no. God. And then like, I defend all cops. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Don't tell, you know, like if someone says a cop did something wrong, my view is the cop did something right until you can prove to me he did wrong right and i'm not attacking no cop is ever going to get attacked by me my predecessor david dinkins defended the the you know uh, a a cop shot a guy in washington heights and got into huge trouble and it turned out the guy he shot was a drug dealer was pointing a gun at him and that and rudy was like i that will never happen under my watch like i am not throwing cops to the wolves but liberals certainly are perfectly happy to throw cops to the wolves in some cases, right. the cops deserve to be thrown to the walls. In other cases, they really didn't. But so it's a complicated story. But again, this is just the beginning. They're going to actually have to do, if they're raising these issues and the voters say, I don't want to live in the, in, the, in the San Francisco that looks like this San Francisco or feels like this San Francisco. London Breed and whoever she appoints as the new DA are going to have to deliver. Life is going to have to get better. Or these people, I don't know what happens to them. I don't know wh- what they turn into. This is, this is how epical political changes happen. Right. Because we're now down the road. The road is defunding the, the, the turn against the cops, the turn against the criminal justice system, and the turn toward defunding the police is now being demonstrated as a colossal political mistake, except in places where Democrats have a 40%, even in by the way, in San Francisco, where Democrats have a 40% margin or 50% margin. But mostly, unless you're in, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district, this is not a wise.
1: But I ask again, can you can we can we navigate it this time so that we don't overcompensate in the other direction? Because the, the, you know there there are very valid critiques before we started experiencing this wave of lawlessness, of you know that that there was very little accountability. Eh, valid shmallid. Enough right, with your
0: valid critiques. No,
2: there were that's, though. That's, that's uh, Eli. That's honestly your answer. Because no, 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 no. no. When it, I say enough be, with the valid critique shit, a, a, Of course you're right. It's there's a, an appetite for cultural combat on the right that wasn't there when. Uh, when the arguments in favor of criminal justice reform and the way you frame it and narrow and incremental ways that appetite existed on the right. I don't see it now. I see it. it.
1: By
0: the way, uh, Trump supported that.
2: Right. But would he today? We
1: are.
0: Right. Okay, can I just go back to my point? Of course, there are always valid critiques of overreach. There government overreaches. That's why a lot of we're conservatives. We believe in government overreach, but correctives are going to be correctives. That's true. And, you know, look at it this way. So people got upset. Cops, Derek Chauvin, you know, kills George Floyd. It's a terrible thing. We all agree. It's a terrible thing. He was properly convicted. Um, Then people say defund the police and then others say, no, no, they didn't mean it. And then they say, no, no, we mean it. Defund the police. That's a classic. You might, that's an overcorrection in the other direction. Uh, that has terrible policy consequences. Correct, but the, di- the
1: difference is that, like yeah. when when it happened in 2020, the 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 elites of corporate power, the most powerful people in the country and financially wealthiest people in the country, were a hundred percent behind the activists calling, you know, for radical change to law enforcement. And I don't know if that was the case in the 70s. I know that. Tom Wolfe wrote the wonderful essay. Totally. No, no. I know that there were lots of elites. There were lots of people who were important, you know, muckety mucks. But I would imagine the corporate culture was very different back then. Um, well, yeah, the cor-
0: corporations. Right, that's what I and that,
1: uh, But that's a big difference now that when, when you have the CEOs. Oh, no, no, of, like, no. They, they, were, they were else, in the
0: other direction. What did they yeah, do? Right. They didn't do anything. Right. They didn't. Right. They didn't take political stances. Right. They just moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Right. What so what I'm is saying the is that, like the weird thing about
1: 20, the, one, the weird thing about 2022 is that when Democrats uh, who are mugged by reality are now like, you know what, I can't go along with this anymore. We have to come, you know, we're, we're in the middle of this apical change. One of their roadblocks blocks is going to be the kind of, you know, dark money that has, you know, cropped
3: up in the last 10 years or so. Okay, Can I, Gabe, go ahead. I, I just want to make one this point about over. I think we are so far away from the prospect of overreach here. Sure. Um, Agreed. And, and, and for among other reasons, because a huge challenge is going to be getting the cops themselves to understand and believe that you've right. got their back. If you are now w- w- one of these people who have been put in office to 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 support law enforcement. It's like, you know, the whole country turned on the cops. The rug was pulled out from under them. And they understandably pulled back. And and they have got to continue to be scared to actually do vigorous police work.
1: This was the I conspiracy mean, theory, by the way, among Chesapeake Dean supporters was that the police were not enforcing crimes to make him look bad for the
0: recall. Um, yeah. I mean, doesn't get any. But, Congratulations. Well, it was great it was a fantastic yeah <laughs> by, by the way by the way that was a conspiracy theory of the dinkins people oh really in 92 93 that like they were the cops were deliberately trying to make dinkins look bad so that rudy giuliani would win um and there was in fact a cops revolt i mean there was
2: actually a march against dinkins by the policemen's benevolent That's association a, i mean that that, um, re- that response and that was in actually this piece that we've been sort of alluding to and making fun of, which is in New York Magazine by Ross Barkin, uh, who he talks about how Boudin's conduct uh, was not responsible for the conditions in San Francisco. Forces largely beyond his control were, as you say, lethargic cops, the housing shortage, the judicial discretion, uh, the city's police, you know, all these other things. But
3: it, Human tells, you defunct,
2: it tells you how to funk the movement is because they, they, they spent a lot of energy, effort and money trying to accomplish what they achieved. And then they don't want to take credit for what they accomplished and achieved because what they accomplished and achieved is incredibly unpopular, but right. and the fact that they don't even want but to get any A- credit for re- reforming the justice system in ways that even banning cop uniforms for parades. This is something that happened in San Francisco because people were so terrified of the prospect of police enforcement. I'm sorry, not people, clearly not people. The the individuals in control of the city were afraid of that, and they don't want to talk about it anymore because it was it was so misguided. Um, but the record stands for itself. So, I mean, I think Abe's point is very dovetails
0: with mine, which is that um, we're very far away. I agree. From the need I to, agree. You know, From the need to, there's plenty of ways in which you need to take care and not not over over overreact. Like you'd be lucky be lucky right now in a, in you know New York City where there's a crime wave if there were an overreaction the other direction because it, it would take an overreaction the other direction just to bring things back to zero you know where they were when Adams took you know or you know where they were before the pandemic which was already not great. I mean it was you know crime was low theoretically. But the, the, the urban decay decline, the streetscape, the, sure. the quality of life stuff, that had already been. And I'm saying that imposing it, bringing that to bear, which is actually what people care about, is the quality of life. I mean, they care. They don't want to be mugged. They don't want to be burgled, all of that. That's a very serious thing. I'm not talking about that. But what people don't want to do is live in squalor. They don't want to live in squalor. They don't want to be forced to live in squalor. And that that is what they get to want to change, right? And at some point, and this is complicated because it's multi generational because people are dem are you know Democrats or Republicans for very um, complicated reasons. But you know, this is the opening salvo in the. This is how people switch ideologies. Their ideology is actually successfully wins elections or you know gets hold of the levers of power and then people have to see they can't say oh well this is all terrible because it's all republicans and you know conservatives doing this they they get it it's their playground and then the playground breaks down and is a disgusting mess and then where are they going to turn they're just going to say they're going to give more money to the same people to go back to rebuild the playground and destroy it again, at some point that's a
2: fool's errand. That's That's why this Los Angeles primary is actually a a more terrifying indicator from the perspective of progressives and Democrats, because it's all Democrats. This is a democratic primary. And if crime, crime is resonating in a democratic primary in the way it is in a general electorate, which is what turned out in San Francisco, then it's a much bigger problem than we even recognize. Well,
0: that's what happened in New York. That's how Adams won in New York. Adams was literally the number two. I mean, it was a very complicated race because it was, there was ranked choice voting and stuff like this, but the person who surged against Adams at the very end was a defund the police radical lunatic, a nice woman, Maya Maya Wiley. I I like her personally, but like, you know, uh, that's, you know, it was a race among Democrats and the idea sort of like Biden in 2020. Also, it's like, We cannot let the lunatics run the asylum here, but then they have to show results. Like they have to show that if they're not the lunatics, what they can at least do is clean things up, you know, right. Biden wasn't elected to be a, you know, to be a, to be Bernie Sanders. And then for some reason he decided to be president Bernie Sanders and, you know, that's London breed and these other people, you know, we we're just, we're down a very interesting road here. All we ever talk about is Republican divisions of the Republicans. It's Trump's party. Isn't it Trump's party? How many people are left? Oh, my God. Trump, 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 Trump. Democratic Party is in a condition of fascinating upheaval here. Vastly more interesting than you know, is the Republican Party in the grips of Trump or not? Because of course it is. So like, stop having the, it's just a way of just saying the same thing over and over again. Of course it's in the grip of Trump. We just don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. Because Trump is an ideologically incoherent figure. So we don't know what it's going to mean that it's in the grip of Trump. So, but Democrats are just like, it's not a civil war because they're not at that much war with each other. They're just a coalition where everything that they want to do and are getting done is going wrong. It's just messy presidency where they need a bigger megaphone.
3: Wrong.
0: What? <laughs> oh, they need a bigger megaphone, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I need a bigger megaphone to talk about our advertisers today, Bowling Branch and Bolin Branch and the X chair. So let's see what comes up first. Let's talk about the X chair. Spend more time in your office chair than in your car and your bed. So invest in the right chair. Spend those hours with the right level of support. You know what that means? Patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL for the ultimate customized support for your lower back. And the extra can give you a massage, heat you up, cool you down. And it's got these new FS360 armrests, which means you can adjust them to the perfect position. It makes your time at your desk more productive. And it's maybe the best place to sit in your house or in your office for any reason. So go to xchaircommentary.com. Now that's the letter X, the word chaircommentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Xchaircommentary.com. And let's not just talk about them. Let's talk about those Bowling Branch sheets So smooth, so buttery, so rich, best organic cotton threads on earth, a hundred percent organic cotton for superior softness and better night's sleep, buttery, breathable, impossibly soft to start. And they get softer with every wash. Forget thread count. Bowling branch gives you thread quality because it doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have. They aren't the best threads possible. Signature hem sheets from Bowling branch are a bestseller for a reason. They feel buttery to the touch, super breathable. You'll immediately feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets, 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. Bowling branch sheets that fit the deepest mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. And a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. So get that 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code commentary so Eli on your podcast the re-education you talk about Chesapeake Boudin just this this very last yeah the last I one I, I did was uh let's I, let's talk about Chesapeake Boudin a little bit because it's just too delicious not to it's talk about so it great go ahead
1: um well I mean he he is the uh biological son of um Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert who um uh, Kathy Bodin just died and Kev- and David Gilbert was just um, finally given clemency, but they were the getaway drivers of the Black Liberation Army's, um, you know, sort of, uh, heist of a Brinks truck in 1981 in Nyack, New York, uh, which, which went wrong, and they, they killed the first Black police officer for Nyack, um, police district, which is kind of an irony, and he was raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, uh, two other weather underground leaders, and, um, I always have to say, John, I thought that Chesa Boudin would have been an amazing neoconservative, wouldn't he? If he'd actually rebelled from like his radical
0: parents. I mean, yeah, I, like I Svetlana can, Stalin. He could have yeah, been like this. Yeah, Svetlana Exactly. And like, yeah. I, I, I can relate. My, my
1: parents were very progressive and I ended up kind of going to the right. Um, but he didn't. He kind of just stayed in that in that in that place. And then, you know, like he, he wrote a lot for the nation. He was a big supporter of Hugo Chavez. And I think in the end, it really is this it sort of disproves the conceit of the weather underground, which for listeners, you know, in the, they, they were a big deal for between 69 and 1974, but they were an armed revolutionary group that set off bombs all over the country and Congress and the Pentagon. And they just believe that the American system was totally hopeless. Now, what does it say that this that the, the son of two of their leaders who was raised by two other, their leaders, rises in this supposedly irredeemable fascist state to become the district attorney for San Francisco. Um, I, think it's a, I think that that discredits the entire kind of radicalism of the Weather Underground to a certain extent, right?
0: I mean, look, it, you know,
3: it,
0: it, it's like a bad plot for a bad movie that he ended up in this position. I mean, it's almost like, if we wanted to write like a neoconservative conspiracy thriller, (laughs) the idea that, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the child of the weather underground ends up running, you know, running the criminal justice system in a, in a city and then takes the city down so that the conditions can be met for, you know, helter skelter (laughs) and a revolutionary takeover of the United States. There's something
1: to that. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, So I don't know what to, I mean, the other the
1: other part of this is that 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 we forget is that Mark felt who was deep throat ended up um, because because he ended up approving the black bag jobs, the the break ins of the FBI into Weather Underground that that Ayers and Dorn who go on to become radical tenured professors basically don't serve any time for leading a domestic terrorist organization. That is America. America is a place where you can be a violent revolutionary that plots bombings all over the country. And if the FBI abuses your civil rights, you don't really
0: serve any time in jail. That's 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 our country. This is the kind of sensible common sense reforms that you want to make sure we put in place. Before we overreact <laughs> to crime, you like it's not that. I just I just
1: think that know, like, you sort of see. I mean, anyway, I mean, we all we all sort of see it. And I just um, it,
0: it's uh, it's always interesting to sort of they It was so delusional um, and only it, in America can the child right. of people who wanted to destroy America and who himself right. subscribes to the same ideology that they had about destroying America could become could become yeah. a district attorney.
1: It's just, it's only in America thing, folks, right? and
0: go to Yale University Law School and all of yeah, these Rhodes, of scholar. Rhodes, Rhodes Scholar
1: Rhodes Scholar. Right. It's like that is that's something that I think really is only in our country. And it's in a weird way. It's it's a testament to the resilience of of our of our great country. It's something that we sort of lose sight of when things are unraveling like this. Yeah, well, it's a testament right to our system. It's
2: uh, yeah, excessive prosecution, oh. malprosecution mal- is as big of a problem as no prosecution. Right. And yes, if your rights are violated, you have rights, even as a defendant in a criminal case. And, and even if you're convicted of criminal wrongdoing, you still have rights. Yes, that is a testament to of the very self-confident ordered liberty. That we oversee in this country,
0: yeah, and that I these people and these people want to ruin and destroy, and they piss on and they shit on, and they and they and they describe America as a fundamentally structurally unjust society where it's okay to be a criminal because you're basically fundamentally reject, you know, going to and unless war you work for them.
1: unless you work for Donald Trump and you're Mike Flynn, in which right. case your civil liberties don't mean anything, and how dare you uh, object? Right. So that's the yeah. that's the whole that's like that's my it's like you know like if, no I was gonna say
3: I wouldn't I wouldn't say Chesapeake Dean's rise is a is a testament to our system I'd say it's one of the trade offs um, oh, fair enough to that's live with yeah, yes sure. f- fair enough fair because enough but I mean I do think
0: I do think that it remains one of the savage and repulsive ironies of our time that uh, so much is given to so many people who who actually subscribe to a revolutionary philosophy that says that the country is unjust as horrible. A country wait, wait. in which a waitress <laughs> with a crummy degree right. and no political experience can rise to the Congress of the United States at the age of 20, at the age of 28 while she talks about how disgusting America is. That's America.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just when Chester was running in 2019, he did not hide the fact of who his parents were. And he talked about how he wanted to become the district attorney because he he believed that their criminal justice system was broken because as a child, he had to go through steel doors and into a jail to see his biological parents every month. And I'm like, yeah, because they murdered people because they were part of a ghastly and heinous crime. That's why they were in jail.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing. Anyway, we're, 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 we're down this road. It's we, we got, and I would say, Abe, just to finish up on, on your, you know, on your two, you know, sort of uh, indelible pieces. Yeah. Yes. This is a revolution and yes, there is a counter-revolution. Um, as you said in the, yes, there is a counter-revolution, the reaction to the revolution of 2020 has been faster and more um, more sustained and uh, more dramatic than I think we ever could have guessed, right?
3: Absolutely faster uh, to my pure joy and delight. And as I said in the first piece, in uh, Yes, This is a Revolution, the revolution would not be countered in the streets. It would happen when politicians got the message that, ordinary citizens actually didn't think America was a terrible place and that the the, the, uh, the horrible results of these new revolutionary initiatives were in fact a big problem and they needed someone to actually be responsive. And that is exactly how this is playing out. Yeah. And it didn't happen in the streets. It happened in school
0: board meetings, in public fora, in town meetings and town halls on these on the zooms that destroyed the three school board members of 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 san francisco who behaved so disgustingly in open for talking about how all they wanted to do was you know hate parents and stay home and you know and, and and not teach kids i mean it happened not through you know, the mass action that is the desideratum of everyone who descends from the French Revolution, but from the ordered liberty of everyone who descends from the American Revolution.
3: There's still the stickier problem of the revolution that is with us, which is um, getting people to stop hectoring you about your bigotry, uh, forcing you to, you know, comport with all sorts of new language and behavior rules and thought policing you. Um, that's a lot harder to root out, um, particularly the Washington Post. Oh, that's for sure. Uh,
0: so, Eli, the reeducation. Go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Stitcher. Yes, go. I would
1: say um, to the next tomorrow's guest will be Abe. And we're talking about cry bullies. So that'll be fun.
0: Uh, cry bullies with yes. Abe and Eli. Yeah, it's like and a- we'll I'll go on
1: soon enough to talk about Puritans. And you were already there to talk about the neocons and, and right, so. Christine Rosen. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've got all members of the commentary Beatles on my podcast already. So
3: there you go. But where's you know Pete
0: Best? I was yeah. about to say the worst yes. thing about yeah, Sora being... would be Pete Best. I guess <laughs> there <laughs> you go. That's
3: good. Yeah, the worst yes. thing about being compared to the Beatles, though, is someone has to be Ringo.
0: I
1: love Ringo. Uh, don't you Ringo's know it Ringo's underrated, but Ringo. Ringo. I don't want
3: to be Ringo. He's underrated. Ringo. I love Ringo, but I don't, be don't want Ringo.
1: Fair enough.
0: All right. So Eli, this thank you very show. much. Thank you very for, much for having uh, me. For uh, Abe and Noah, on horns, keep the candle burning.